12 Stone Church invites you to enjoy this teaching by Pastor Kevin Myers entitled, I Don't Pray. This is from the series, I Pray. Please enjoy. Twelve Stone, I am so eager for you to experience the teaching today. First, because all of us are working through our own share of pressures and problems. And we all need today's lesson on prayer. We need to discover or rediscover the peace and the power of God through prayer. But secondly, because on September 9th, we will embark on a cause-trouble conversation around the life of the Apostle Paul. He caused trouble for good. And remember, God sent Jesus into this world for good. And then Jesus sends us, his followers, to do his good. So literally, God has a calling on each one of us to live sent. That we would cause trouble for good. But Jesus, he's sending us into the world in the midst of a spiritual war. And the only way we can live sent is through a life of prayer. Prayer is our dependence on God. And while I'm excited about the coming six-week series, and it's going to be extraordinary from Jeff Foxworthy next weekend to many cool stories along the way, yet the entire life of Live Sent is on the foundation of prayer. We don't merely do something good and then ask God to join us. We are joining Jesus. He is the peace and the power for us to live sent. In other words, these six weeks will be coupled with a fresh engagement of prayer if not a a revolution of prayer underneath. Now, how does that happen? (laughs) Well, at the end of today's teaching, I'll lay out the very cool plan for our shared adventure, but first we need today's teaching. And I'm going to teach today out of Exodus 17. I delivered this teaching during the I Pray series back in 2012. It's a lesson I've had to learn and then relearn. And I believe God wants us to hear it again and learn it afresh. So again, this is from fall 2012. It's a lesson on prayer, and we need this lesson to become alive in us today. So give God your full attention. So welcome to 12 Stone and week four of our series, I Pray. Today's title, I Don't Pray. This past month, I had the opportunity to visit Dobbins Air Force Base, fly on a C-130 to Patrick's Air Force Base down in Cocoa Beach, Florida, hang out at Cape Canaveral, see some pretty cool things. It was really quite an awesome experience. It was one of those uh, civic leader kind of invitations, insider tour, great fun. And amongst that, I had the opportunity to kind of see the different uh, achievements from this rescue wing 
of the Air Force base. So they would go out and put themselves in harm's way and, and rescue the wounded. And uh, one of the cooler things was the H-860 helicopter. I don't know if you're into any of that stuff, but if you don't know what that is, check this out. Here's about 20 seconds of video on it just to show you the cool factor. Now, they allowed, us, they allowed us to actually crawl around on the real deal. I mean, we cr I crawled through one of those things, and, and I mean, it literally had bullet holes through it, so that was humbling. And here is my favorite picture of the experience. Check this out. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, one of the airmen suggested we just drop one on the stage, and I use this for taking the offering. Wouldn't that be an awesome moment? <laughs> I haven't decided yet. I'm thinking about it. But my respect, appreciation, admiration for those who serve in the armed forces just went up multiple times. Already grateful for what they do, aren't you? It's a stunning thing. These are sharp men and women, just amazing what they do. And this group is the rescue wing. And, and so one of the stories that stood out to me is that in some time past here, it's been a, a couple of years or so, in Afghanistan as the war uh, with terror has been going on, we lost in one particular skirmish three of the four Navy SEALs who went in on this particular mission. The helicopter of 16 soldiers. I mean, this was a ruthless battle. Now, that crew took out about 100 Taliban in this skirmish, but one man wounded, one Navy SEAL was left. And as they shared the details of this story, how this 920th wing, rescue wing, took the risk, put their own life on the line, slipped in under the cover of dark, very high risk rescue. In fact, met one of the pilots of the helicopter, and what stood out to me, even in the written account which I read, he said, I prayed. <laughs> I what? I would too, wouldn't you? Here's, what, here, here's, here's the line, he said, I prayed, oh God, please don't let me screw up. <laughs> please make sure we get everybody out. And they succeeded. And here's what struck me. Why would a tough, well-trained soldier pray? Well, because he was in a battle that he could not control. Why did Moses, this great leader of the nation of Israel, pray in Exodus chapter 17? Because he was in a battle he could not control. What's one major reason we ought to pray? Because we are in life battles that we cannot control. Take your Bibles, turn with me here across all the campuses. Bible's right underneath your chair to the book of Exodus chapter 17. Page 73, Exodus chapter 17. And if you're among the spiritually unresolved or you're new to us or you don't have a Bible of your own, let this be our gift to you. Put your name on it, take it home. Get inside God's word. And we're gonna tap into Exodus chapter 17 on page 73. And there are some stories in scripture that are so significant in what they teach me that I have to read them, reread them, 
rediscover them and repeat that. Because I never get the lesson one. I need the lesson repeatedly. And Exodus chapter 17 is one of those stories. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, rose up from Abraham under the promise and protection of God. And yet for 400 years ended up enslaved to Egypt. If any of you know that Bible story, then you know how God released them under the leadership of Moses from Egypt. They moved out in the desert. God was going to take them to the promised land. And on the way, they're attacked again. And, and now men are losing their lives. Wives are losing their husbands. Children are use, losing their dads. I mean, I have to believe at some moment somebody asked, God, why do you let this happen? I mean, if we're under your protection, why do you let that? Have you ever asked that? I mean, haven't you ever had a moment in life where you just said, even if under your breath, dear God, why do you let these things happen to us? I've heard people say, if you become a Christian, then you won't have the kinds of pressures and problems everybody else has. You know why you're laughing? Because <laughs> you know that's not true. That's foolish thinking. In fact, sometimes you'll end up with more pressures and problems because of persecution just in the name of Jesus, which is happening all around this world, more and more even in this country. No, 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 no. It's not that we have, listen, it's not that we who follow Christ have different problems or pressures than anyone else. We got the same pressures and problems. It's that we have a different peace and a different power. Yeah? That's distinctive. But in order to tap into that peace and power, you have to pray. You have to what? You have to pray. That's what Moses is about to discover. That's what he's going to take us into right here in Exodus chapter 17. So follow along if you want. As we read in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Eriphadim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, if you will, in prayer, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Isn't that a bizarre twist? I have to read and reread this story many times over any given year. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Great celebration, kindness of God, and I think that just right off the top, just general thought, Moses would say some things to us. I think the first thing he'd say is, listen, you're going to face battles in life that you can't control. Isn't that true? I mean, how many of us have battles somewhere in life, inside or outside, or in your marriage, in your family, in your finance, in your economy, in the job, in our nation? Hello. We, we, all, have, we all have battles we cannot control. Right. Second thing he tells us is, listen, you need to know that God is near. This is not some distant, disconnected God. He is intimately involved, and he is near, right in the midst of your battles. You need to know that. And the third thing you need to know is you need to pray. I mean, hands up, need to pray. In the mid to the late 1800s, Hudson Taylor was called to be a missionary to China. In his book on spiritual secrets, great book, well worth reading, it just feeds my soul on this subject of prayer. But here are a couple of his quotes. Prayer is transacting business with God, whether on one's own behalf or on behalf of those for whom you seek God's blessing. 
And when I got, or when I get to China, now he's writing about before he left to go to China, here's what he wrote. He said, when I get to China, I will have no claim on anyone for anything. My only claim will be on God. How important for me to learn before leaving England to move man through God by prayer alone. Oh my goodness, that right there, I just, okay, take it, highlight it, underline it, memorize that. Uh, I'll read it again. To move man through God by prayer alone. Power of prayer. That's Exodus chapter 17. That's the lesson I need to learn and learn again. That prayer moves the hand of God to move things on earth. When Joshua got done with the battle and he had victory, no doubt he sat down with Moses and you can see the moment when he and Moses sat down and Joshua said, my goodness, what a battle. I mean, I don't know why God let that happen to us, but it was amazing. And, and I fought with all my strength. Moses, did you see it? We won. Moses said, it's not like you think, Joshua. See, I had a view higher up. Joshua, I was watching this from the top down. And I can tell you, the battle did not turn on your strength on the battlefield. The difference in this battle was prayer. Man, we we gotta absorb the weight of this. The difference in this battle was what? Prayer. Literally, Joshua, whenever I had my hands up in prayer, you were winning. And as soon as I felt like I had it under control, I relaxed. Nobody else has ever done this, just Moses. (laughs) As soon as I felt like I had it under control, I relaxed and I quit praying. Moses could have written on the chalkboard that we've been writing on these past weeks of the series. I don't pray because (laughs) I, I got it under control. It's all good. In fact, I I gathered a list. It's kind of a summary of many of the things that you wrote on the chalkboard. I don't pray because. Here's some of the responses. I don't pray because I procrastinate, because I'm lazy, because I have too little time, because I get caught up in things, because I'm busy. And of course, we've talked about this, right? You got to break from busy. We've been doing the Daniel days together. More on the list. I don't pray because I don't know what to say. Because I don't know how to pray. Many times that was said. Because I hate confessing my sin. Because I feel ashamed. That was said multiple times. Let me just pause. Next week I'm going to pick up on that. Some of, uh, some of the rest of I don't pray because. And then we're going to turn and step into. I pray when. I pray about. Listen, do you even know the three traps on Repentance Road that most people get caught in? That cause most people to disconnect in prayer, to get discouraged, disinterested. I mean, if you don't know these, it's no wonder you can't break through in prayer spiritually. We're gonna pick those up next week and the week that follows. But let me stay on the list. I don't pray because. And and there are about four or five of these that seem to be around one subject of control. (laughs) Either because I'm not in control, because God wouldn't give me control, because I feel in control. Here, here they are. You'll, you'll get the point. I don't pray because I'm afraid of the truth. I don't want to hear the answer. I don't pray because nothing I pray for happens. I don't pray because I don't trust. I don't pray because I get angry at God. You know, because God didn't do what I wanted. I, I don't pray because I think I'm in control. But are we? I mean, are we really in control? 
Come on. Isn't most of life the discovery that we feel more in control at times than we ever really are? I only need to go back to bicycles to remind us that we're never quite in control like we thought. And if that's not clear to you, then check out this little video. How many have had an accident on a bicycle? How many have you gone? Of course you have. Look around the room. You know why? Because <laughs> we're not always in control. Of course we're not. But that doesn't stay with just bicycles. We take that gift into car driving, don't we? And so I want you to pay attention to this red Viper. Just for a moment. It's brief. Check it out. Doesn't that make you sick? Yeah, I, I, I just, I, my, I went nauseated when I watched that. Viper, such a beautiful car, such a sad thing. You know how much confidence he had before that, coming out of the, of the tunnel. I got this, taking over traffic. Oh. And then we take moments like that with the car and, and we make them metaphors for life. And we put them to songs, like in 2005, Carrie Underwood's song which name I will not give, but I will give the lyrics all the way to the chorus, and if you've caught on to the song, you can sing the chorus as a congregation. Are you ready? No cheating here. You can whisper it to your neighbor, but we'll just see if you can recall this song. I'm not gonna sing it, by the way, to your great disappointment. She was driving last Friday on her way to Cincinnati on a snow white Christmas Eve, going home to see her mama and her daddy with the baby in the back seat. 50 miles to go when she was running low on faith and gasoline. It'd been a long, hard year. She had a lot on her mind and she didn't pay attention. She was going way too fast. Before she knew it, she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass. She saw both their lives flash before her eyes. She didn't even have time to cry. She was so scared. Do you know how hard it is to do this with any sincerity? She was so scared, she threw her hands up in the air. Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. No. <laughs> so give me one more chance to save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, what? Take the wheel. And that thing got played and overplayed until we all got sick of it. But it is a song of faith of giving God control. But that is not my favorite version of the song. My favorite version of the song is by comedian Tim Hawkins. <laughs> now that is worthy of screen time. So I'm gonna play a segment of that one. It's a parody, enjoy. I was fishing last Friday on a lake in Mississippi in the humid summer heat On a boat with my best friend Cletus who was sleeping in the back seat. Well the bites were slow and we were running low on chips and Gatorade It'd been a long hard day 
Built a tug on the line and I didn't pay attention I'm spinning way too fast Before I knew it, I was staring at a ten-pound shiny bass When I tried to pull the fish inside I pulled a muscle in my upper thigh I was so scared I threw my rod up in the air Don't you love that stuff? Our family loves Tim Hawkins, and I got good news. He's coming this spring to 12 Stone. Gonna be great fun, oh yeah. You'll hear more about that later. Let's get on with the teaching. Jesus, take the wheel. Now, here's my question for you. In fact, I wrote the question down. You might wanna jot it in your notes. Here we go. Do we pray in order to give God control or to get control? Oh, that's a great question. Do we really pray in order to give God control, or do we actually pray just in order to get control? See, we can laugh about this Jesus take the wheel thing, but this issue of control and how it operates in the world of prayer runs deep, it's serious. At the first weekend of this series, I pray, a 12-stoner came up to me after the service and she said, I'm not gonna write my answer, I don't pray because on the chalkboard, I'm just gonna give it to you. She says, I don't pray because it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't change anything. I said, well, it's pretty honest. So what, what brought you to that conclusion? And with her permission, I'll give you just a snapshot of her story. Her name is Donna. A year ago, October 2011, her 18-year-old high school son went to school on that particular day. Like any other normal school day, healthy, strong. Mid-morning or so, he fell ill. Serious enough that the school called the emergency unit and took him to the hospital. Within a couple of hours, he was dead. That sudden, that unexpected, that harsh. They discovered a clot from an earlier simple injury that had broken loose and lodged in his lungs. She looked at me and said, and I prayed for my son, and he still died. I don't pray because it doesn't matter. You know, that kind of loss, that needs God's grace, that needs God's comfort, that needs God's kind of time, that needs God's kind of healing. And that's a slow heal, it takes years. But hear me, it does not heal with time. It also needs truth. It needs good theology. It needs God's truth. 
And I think Moses would interrupt something of that kind of weight. And he would say, there is something you need to know. And church, if there's only one thing you get out of today's teaching, this is in your notes. I want you to get this. Prayer is not how we secure control. It's how we surrender control. Oh my goodness. You gotta get this down. Just get it in your notes. Settle this in your soul. Wrestle with this. Prayer is not how you what? Secure. Say it with me. Prayer is not how you what? Prayer is not how you secure control. It's how you what? Surrender control. God does not bow to us when we pray. We bow to him. We do not become God when we pray. We pray surrendering to God's control and confessing that he is God and we're not in control. And the reason I can't teach this subject any better than I am is because everybody keeps waiting for me to deliver. Okay, how do you pray in order to get control? And you don't. Because prayer is not how you secure control so that you feel like you got a handle on everything. Prayer is how you surrender control. And I wonder how many times unknowingly we engage in prayer and we talk about it as if we're giving God control when in fact all we're trying to do is get control. And when we don't get control, we quit praying and we start filling up chalkboards that say, I don't pray because, boom. And it's really because we didn't get control. But prayer is not how you gain control. It's how you surrender control. In fact, curiously, most of the reasons we fill in the blank to say I don't pray because are the very reasons we need to pray. Now, I have never had the loss of one of my children. And I don't want that heartache. I don't want to know that experience. Candidly, it's just been tough enough to lose people I love. My roommate in college two weeks before his wedding. My mom at age 52 with cancer. An older brother at age 41 in a motorcycle accident. Even for me, it was incredibly traumatic. A couple summers ago, summer of 2010, when Marsha had the bicycle accident and the severe head injury, and, and the doctor said, I don't know. Her brain is bruised, and I don't know. In the next 24 hours, the brain will either tell us that it will adjust and heal, and she'll know who you are tomorrow, or she won't. I can tell you, that dark night, I had no control. Oh, I prayed. I begged God. But I had a friend call me that night who had lost his wife in an accident. And I knew that there's no guarantee that I don't control. Prayer is not how I secure control. Prayer is how I surrender control. And I don't know that I've ever really fully learned that. I think I just have to keep relearning that. I think I tend to cycle in the wrestling of that. And so what I do is what I think Moses would tell us next. From what you need to know to what you need to do. It's right there in your notes. 
what you need to do? Hands up in prayer. Say it with me, what? Hands up in prayer. In fact, let's just, let's just say this to your neighbor. Here at Central, at, at Flowery Branch, at Hamilton Mill, at Sugarloaf, if, if you're online, say it to the person listening online with you. Are you ready? Everybody listen. Here we go. Tell your neighbor, put your hands up. Go ahead, tell them. And, and actually do it. Put your hands up. Now keep your hands up, okay? Everybody see? You know, what you know what that sounded like? A movie, didn't it? Like the police came up and said, put your hands up. No, 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 I didn't say put your hands down yet. Don't get lazy on me. We said, put your hand, you know what this is? This is a symbol of surrender. And isn't it interesting that Israel gained victory when Moses was hands up in the prayer of surrender? Now, if I require you to keep doing this, some of you are going to start leaning on your neighbor. <laughs> but here's my question How many of us have been dropping our hands? You go ahead and drop them. How, how many of us, like Moses did in a moment where he thought he had it under control, have dropped your hands? You've dropped your hands and you're not praying for your marriage like you used to. And you're wondering what's wrong and God's simply whispering hands up. How many of you have dropped your hands and praying over your family, over your economics, finance, job, over the church, his kingdom? You see, hands up prayer is how we move things in heaven to move things on earth. It's not how I secure control. It's how I surrender control. It's how I practice what Jesus said in Luke 18. We ought always to pray and not give up. That's what Jesus told us. You ought always to pray, hands up, and not give up. How many of us have given up? on prayer, and we fill in the blank, I don't pray because, and we forfeit God's peace and power because we dropped our hands, just like Moses, when he dropped his hands and they began to lose favor in the battle. See, in Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching us, why do you worry? By the way, I can fill in the blank for him, I have many times. <laughs> you don't know why we're, let me tell you why I worry, because I'm not in control. <laughs> why do you worry? Look at the birds of the air. They don't toil. They don't have anxiety. They don't worry. And yet your heavenly father created them. He knows what they have need of. And he provides for them. Have any of you added an hour to your life by worry? No, but most of us have taken hours away from our life by worrying, huh? So you don't have to worry. Hands up prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God. My sister came down last weekend from Michigan. And we had some time together. And she wanted to do a little trip and remembrance and so she wanted to remember where years back we launched at the General Cinema Six Theaters, the 12 Stone Church at Gwinnett Place Mall, which is abandoned now. <laughs> we drove over there and we just sat in front of it and had a bit of a conversation because she just knows the whole journey. She was there for all that, remembering it. She said, when you started here, you remember the day you walked in? I said, I remember everything. She said, remember how discouraging, how anxious, how fear-filled, could you ever have believed that God would do what he's done over the years? I said, no. Because if God had told me then what he was going to do, I would have lived like a bird. <laughs> Worry-free, right? See, if you know what God's going to ultimately do, if you know that 
all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called to according to his purpose. And you'll do it and allow it on God's time, not your time, on God's time. Well, I don't understand yet. Most of us don't. On God's time, you'd live like a bird. I'm not really good at that, so I have to pray myself there. That's why Philippians 4 is so valuable to me. I think my Bible's tired of being worn out on that scripture. Turn to it, Philippians chapter 4. Well worth reading, repeating, sitting in, soaking in. Philippians chapter 4, page 1181. Take your worship center Bible, Philippians chapter 4. And by the way, you could say, oh, I already know this verse. It's not important that you've heard this verse. Oh, no, I've heard this. No, no. It's important that you live the verse. Yes? Hearing it's irrelevant. Living it. Now, that's impacting. Philippians chapter 4, page 1181, verse 4. Paul's writing to us, encouraging the church. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is what? Near. Do not be anxious about anything. It's not my gift. (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by what? Prayer. Hands up prayer. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray. Do just what Moses did. Hands up. And the peace of God. The what of God? Got to get this. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, prayer is not how you secure control, it's how you surrender control. Christians have as much pressures and problems as anybody else in this world, but those who seek the Lord in prayer find peace and power. It distinguishes us, it sets our lives apart. And the peace of God, this, that, that unique thing that guards our heart, and what does it guard our heart and our mind from? From fear and doubt and anxiety. The fear that causes us to drop our hands and conclude that it doesn't matter if we pray. There's one more thought that's been hovering, hanging in my soul. It came up in a conversation several weeks back when my 17-year-old son Jake and I were in dialogue on our Friday afternoon father-son time. And we were actually reflecting on Exodus 17, surprisingly enough. And in the course of the conversation, I I was passionately trying to convince my son of deeper conviction and intensity when it comes to hands-up prayer. And and I I think I got a little preachy, (laughs) poor kid. And and I was just kind of like, son, do you not see uh, the victories that God has given to your life and to our lives and to our family and the blessing? Do you not understand the answer to prayer? And as if God descended in the moment and spoke, A thought, it's not that profound to you, but for me in the moment, it just hit me with such force. And I realized, oh my goodness. Son, you don't carry this with the same intensity that I do yet. Because your life is the answer to my prayers, not yours. I'm all wrapped up and passionate Because I came from the world of a broken family. I know how uh, loss-filled, ugly, sorrowful, and heartbreaking it is. And I came from more loss than gain in the first 10 years of marriage and ministry. And I begged God to turn things around. And I learned how to pray hands up. And though I don't do that well, and I still struggle with anxiety and worry, and I wrestle it down. And I get tired of praying like Moses, and I figure out a way to keep hands up. 
and son, I look at your life and I think, how could you do anything other than be intense in prayer to God? But now I realize, huh, it wasn't your prayers. Your life is favored because of my prayers, not yours. You know, Joshua probably wasn't that convinced when Moses said, oh, Joshua, it's not the battlefield. It's not the workplace. It's, it's not any place on earth that you think shifts the battle in life. It's actually on the mountain of prayer. That's where everything shifts, Joshua. And I'm sure Joshua said, okay, but I was down there with the sword and you should have seen it. <laughs> Until someday down the road, when Moses was no longer on the mountain praying. And it's Joshua's turn. That's what happened. And the book of Joshua carries the story that Moses is gone and Joshua rises up. And now by chapter 10, Joshua's in a battle. And if you read it carefully, he's hands up prayer. Oh dear God, in this battle give us victory and make the sun stand still so that we have time to win. And God did. And now Joshua became as passionate, convicted, and intense as Moses. Hands up prayer, moves things in heaven to move things on earth. And church, while it's incredibly valuable to have other people pray for you, today's teaching is about you praying. Hands up prayer. And in so doing, God will either give you huge victories like Exodus chapter 17, or he will give you huge peace like Philippians 4. But you have to surrender in prayer. So what do you need to surrender? Anger? Angry? Are you angry at God? Because he didn't give you control and do what you wanted? He didn't bow to your wishes? You're confused about that. Fear, anxiety, worry, grief, sorrow. Do you have to surrender a relationship? Pride? Your finances? An independent spirit? Maybe you have to surrender prayerlessness. So as I turn this service over to the campus pastors, look at the very bottom of your teaching notes. There is the question, your opportunity to answer. I need to surrender blank. How would you fill in the blank? 